This is Rumble, and this is Michael Moore, and I am coming to you today from my motel room in Concord, New Hampshire. And when I say motel room, I don't mean to imply that I'm at the Bates Motel here or some rickety place off uh, some deserted highway. It's, uh, it's, it's a nice place. I don't really know anymore what is the difference between a hotel and a motel. In my mind, I guess it's that if you can't get room service, if there's no food, if it's either too hot or too cold in the room, it's a, it's a motel. If you can't do your laundry, you know, things like that, basic things, uh, it's, it's, it's a motel. But I'm in New Hampshire because the primary here is on Tuesday. And, of course, a primary implies that the election will be run by the state. And I know the more conservative people, they, they don't like the government. But I think we saw in Iowa this week that there's a reason we have government. And it's so that the traffic light every 45 seconds or so will turn red and and then it will turn green. And uh, it seems to work most of the time. Uh, every morning I see kids going off to school. I, I, I notice that the government seems to open those schools on time every morning. And uh, so government's a good thing. And in the case of New Hampshire, it will make sure that people's votes are counted, uh, or, or we hope so. Also, I want to announce that tomorrow, Sunday, February 9th, uh, you may be listening to this on Sunday morning, but um, uh, I'm going to do my very first live audience podcast uh, where I will do the podcast with you in the room if you come uh, right here in Manchester, New Hampshire. I want to invite all of you. It's at 1 p.m. Eastern time uh, tomorrow. Now, it will not it will not air on on, pod, on the podcast platform at that time. This is just for people who are in the essentially Boston to New Hampshire, New England area. If you want to come here, I want to give you the information. I'd love to have you. Uh, you'll be able to say you were the first, the first, you were at the very first Rumble podcast. It's going to take place at one o'clock in the Shaquin Irish Pub and Restaurant. Shaquin, I think it's S-H-A-K-E-E-N. Uh, Irish pub and restaurant. I'll have the information on the, on the podcast uh, thing here. And um, it's at 1 p.m. It's on Elm Street in Manchester, New Hampshire, the uh, the Shaquin Irish pub. Uh, 1 p.m. Sunday, February 9th. Come. It's free. It doesn't cost anything. And uh, there's plenty of room, and I'd love to have you there as, as part of my first live podcast and my special guests the people who do the Chapo Trap House podcast from Brooklyn are going to be with me live so please come uh, and, and be there with us uh, I think it'll be a lot of fun and um, um, I look forward to seeing you uh, Sunday tomorrow or today depending on when you're listening to this at 1pm in Manchester, New Hampshire on Elm Street uh, the Shaquin Irish Pub and Restaurant. So I'm here, as I said, I'm here in Concord, and I'm going to be heading over to Manchester, uh, New Hampshire, uh, shortly. We're going to do a kickoff uh, with a bunch of door-to-door campaign volunteers. We're going to knock on some doors and get people out to, to vote. 
course, I'm here helping uh, Bernie. But, you know, I, I, I kind of want to apologize to the non, non-Bernie people listening to this. I know it seems like I've gone... Like what have I done to my uh, to the podcast here? But I, you know, it's just it's just it's I, I'm it's me. It's my podcast, and I'm I'm telling you how I feel about number one, how to get rid of Trump, uh, someone who I believe will crush him, and uh, number two, not just crushing and getting rid of Trump, but let's create a better a better country, a, you know, something that really is going to benefit everybody. So I, uh, so yes, yeah, so I've, I've I've known Bernie and I've supported him for thirty years, and and. That's that, but I gotta, I, I gotta feel that there's a certain amount of people that have, um, you know, been wondering. Okay, Mike, I, I, I get why you like Bernie, um, but I like, you know, this candidate or that candidate, and I think the debate last night, for me at least, I mean, we had a, I went to one of the the campaign things here. They had a big open to the public debate watch party on a big screen uh, inside a, a sports uh, complex in uh, Manchester and I spoke at it and, and we watched the, the debate and I noticed that during, during the debate like uh, Elizabeth would say something and I would applaud and, I, and I'd be the only person applauding and people were looking at me like why, why are you applauding her um, we support Bernie I said because she just said something really good or, or Amy Klobuchar or, or uh, Tom Steyer or Andrew Yang I mean they all they all last night said something great and it made me feel like it uh, you know we're we're really in much better shape than we think we are i know this week it's hard to feel that way because of what happened in the senate and with trump and and i'll get to that in a minute but you know all the polls have been showing now for a few months that pretty much any of the top four or five democrats who are running in a head-to-head contest when they ask Voters, if just the name uh, uh, Joe Biden was on the ballot, Joe Biden versus Trump, who wins? Bernie versus Trump, Elizabeth versus Trump. And for those three, they all beat Trump. So we should take heart in that. <laughs> There's just a, when the polls are that consistent um, and they're done by various organizations, again, I'm not, as you know, a big believer in polls. I cited in my last film, uh, the stupidity of the New York Times on election day in 2016, putting that damn thing on the page there that said that Trump only had a 15% chance of winning today. Um, so that will always be etched in my memory to you know, remind myself that polls are fallible. Um, but I do believe it's true. I do, I do believe that if if the, if the right things are done and the proper cam, the campaigns are run in a way that reach out to people, especially to the 100 million non-voters, so many people want to vote and just can't bring themselves to do it. They're just so sick of the whole thing. But if given a chance, if given a reason, I think they would. And, and we don't need to convince 100 million to vote. That will never happen. Not in this country. But we could, can't we convince 2 million of the 100 million to show up? Really? You know, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I've got, there's 10 million of you that follow me on, a little around 10 million, uh, follow me on social media. Jeez. 
don't you, each of you know one person who doesn't vote that you could, over the next few months, show them why there's a good reason to vote. But I just, I wanted to say uh, some words in, uh, on, about the other candidates. I think Joe Biden walking over and hugging Bernie when he was asked, when Bernie was asked the question about, you know, how did he feel about Hillary saying that nobody likes him and and that, you know, he won't work well with others to get his legislation accomplished. And Biden walked over and hugged him and Amy said something positive and, and it was, it, it not only was very, I, I guess sweet is, is an okay word, but, um, but actually I've been around Bernie long enough to people actually, and his fellow senators and when he was in Congress, they really, they actually do like him because he's saying the things I think a lot of them want to say. They're afraid to say it. He says it. And, and, uh, um, He's 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 quite he's quite he's quite well liked and admired, especially admired, because they know that there's no BS coming out of him. It's just all the truth. During the debate last night, when he was asked about whether the two Democratic senators here in in New Hampshire, how did he he said he was asked if they were they wrong to vote for this new trade deal with Mexico and Canada, and Bernie voted against it. Um, for a number of reasons, but mainly I think it had zero provisions in it regarding climate change. And um, and he will not relent on that, as he shouldn't. So the uh, commentator said, how do you feel about the New Hampshire Senate? And the two, the two senators are sitting right there, like in the front row of the debate. <laughs> were, were they wrong? Were they wrong to vote for that trade agreement? And Bernie just says, yeah. <laughs> it's like no politician would do that. They're, you're doing a debate in the state where the people have elected these two senators. And they're your colleagues. They're Democrats. And, you know, Bernie's just not going to pander. He's not going to say things that are going to please the senators or the audience or whatever, just so we can get some more votes on Tuesday. I think that's especially why young people love him. Because young people have to put up with so much bullshit that comes out of the mouth of adults and older adults. And uh, they just don't get that from him. They just get the truth and they like that. But but I just, I thought, geez, there were so many great moments um, when, uh, uh, when Biden uh, talked about um, the Lieutenant Colonel Vindman that was fired yesterday by Trump and escorted out of the White House in a humiliating fashion, and and Biden asked the enti- entire audience to stand up and and applaud him, give him the applause he should have received as he walked out of the White House. And it felt so cathartic. It felt like the whole nation was applauding um, this individual who has served his country and and told the truth to Congress about that phone call that he was a witness to and uh, so that was that was a great moment um, you know Amy Klobuchar I, I think people felt really good about her after the debate because she again there's no bullshit from her um, now I don't agree with her politically but it's so refreshing just to have somebody where you're listening to a politician and you're thinking, oh, yeah, she really thinks that. She really believes in that. She's not pandering to me. 
She's not talking down to me. Just speaking her mind in a very kind of authentic Midwestern sort of way. It's it's uh, and she has a sense of humor. And oh, by the way, Mr. Trump, uh, she I think she was standing on a box. Uh, just see, just so you can think about that for a little bit. Um, <laughs> he said that about Bloomberg this week. Trump complaining that Bloomberg was asking for a box to stand on if they were going to have a debate because you know Bloomberg is short and um, Bloomberg's answer should have been yeah I'm I wasn't asking for a box to stand on I was asking for a box to whack you over the head with it <laughs> not nonviolently of course um, please don't don't take this the wrong way but um Speaking of cartoons, I loved how Klobuchar just says to Pete Buttigieg, you know, you mocked us, you know, Bernie and I and uh, and Elizabeth for doing our job this week, for being in the Senate, and you were running around last week or whatever in Iowa talking about how you had no real interest in the impeachment uh, trial and the conviction trial. And Buttigieg told the press that he'd rather be watching cartoons. And, man, when she said that to him, right when she said that, and the camera, they cut to Buttigieg, and Christ, if he didn't look like a cartoon character. I don't know if you if you taped it or if you can go back and look at it, but whoever the director was of last night, who's ever in the booth cutting to Buttigieg, and he kind of raises his hand, like, let me talk. And... um and it looked it looked so it looked so cartoony in a, in a weird way. I'm sorry that none of the candidates, though, also acknowledged the fact that um, uh, that he did you know he did really well. He did he did not win the state of Iowa, and there will be there will be uh, and there is an ongoing investigation. It's not there's not 100 percent of the precincts have not reported because there's there's I think I don't know. 70 of them where there are discrepancies that they're having to investigate and and most of them are in Bernie districts of course and so they, they, uh, it's the same thing we saw all this back in 2016 in Iowa and they never really fixed it in fact they made it worse and um, uh, so Bernie we know everybody knows Pete Buttigieg knows he, the majority of Iowans the ones the, the, the people who got the person who got the most votes was Bernie Sanders um, but Damn, it just, he looked so, when she said that. But I wanted to acknowledge something that just didn't get acknowledged last night, which is, it was historic this week that for the first time ever, uh, an LGBTQ American um, did so well and came pretty close to, to winning a state in this country with, with its history of bigotry and violence against um, gay and lesbian and other people. It's, uh, I, I, you know, every time we take a little step forward, I, I just feel better. And I, we took a little step forward this week that in the state of Iowa, a gay man could do so well. And I, I, I'm, I'm kind of loath to say he's the first gay man running for president because we don't know that. We don't know how many closeted gay men have run for the presidency uh, in the past. They couldn't come out, didn't come out, 
they they lived in a time where they obviously would never get elected to anything when they also would put their lives in jeopardy if they announced that they were that they were gay so it's hard to say he's the first but um matter of fact why don't we just assume he isn't the he isn't the first uh gay man to run for president and um but it's 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 historic and i think we should stop for a second and acknowledge that um Tom Steyer said some very powerful things um, about our focus this November, the focus of removing Trump. Let's never lose sight of that. Uh, Andrew Yang, um, you know, I continued. I like this guy. I wish there was like a, like, there could be like a, 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 in the Yang gang, a Bernie, a Bernie uh, division. It's like, we're not going to vote for Yang, but but we like his energy and his spirit and the way he is trying to look at the world. It's not my way, but, but man, it's, it's, uh, it's good to have the discussion. It's good to have a new idea out there. And, uh, so he was, he was good. Um, uh, Elizabeth was, um, very powerful talking about child poverty and, and, um, and all of that. And, and, you know, she's cares about, these things in a very profound way. And uh, so I, I think up and down the the stage there, I thought some wonderful things were said. And and when Buttigieg said that, that, that uh, they tried to get him to, want, they wanted him to support the assassination of the Iranian uh, defense uh, person, and, uh, Solomon, and, and, and he just, he, he wouldn't do it. And he, and, he, and he closed by saying that, um, as a veteran, our troops should never be sent anywhere unless it's the absolute last alternative for our defense. And that sentiment was supported by all those candidates. And, and Steyer was right to say, look, everybody up here supports a woman's right to choose, uh, is against voter suppression, uh, wants to raise the minimum wage. You know, you get down to all the issues. Um, it's a it's a good group of people. Uh, I I know everybody's nervous and afraid. How are we going to beat Trump? Is Trump going to win? Yeah, Trump could win. Yes, that is true. You should be afraid of that. That is a legitimate fear. He did it already, and he can do it again. And he can do it by losing the popular vote. Which I it's if I could guarantee you one thing, Trump will lose the popular vote. I have no doubt about that, and he'll lose it by a larger margin than he lost it to Hillary. Um, but that doesn't really mean a whole lot because we have a we have a rigged kind of thing in our constitution that gives this extra power to states that don't deserve it, and uh, mostly the former slave states. So we have our work cut out for us uh, regarding that. But I just wanted to say that about the the debate last night, and I and I want to acknowledge uh, the other candidates. In, in fact, uh, last night uh, I sent. A note to uh, uh, out to uh, Amy Klobuchar and to Andrew Yang um, to see if I could do a podcast with them while we're here in New Hampshire this week, and so I'm hoping to do that. I'd love to do one with Elizabeth and uh, and, and Biden. Um, so um, so we'll see what happens with that. I actually ran into uh, to Amy 
last night uh, we were looking for a place to eat late at night and um and we ran into her in the lobby of the double tree i guess yeah um i know you don't usually think of going to the double tree to eat but uh, you know you do what you can when you're in a place like this um but i had a, a few um nice words with her and um thanked her for kind of really taking the mask off um the whole thing with with uh with pete um and it was it was pretty profound how she how she did that um said so a nice chat with her maybe maybe she'll come on this podcast uh, which would be very cool but uh, the week in general was a pretty rough week um, obviously starting on Monday with Iowa having spent 12 days there and and feeling like it meant nothing uh, because of the botched and I, I'm gonna I'm gonna get into talking about this later and, and I noticed on some of the comments here people are Mike don't say anything bad about the Democratic Party or the Democrats my friends if we don't fix this now if the hacks that are on our side don't get it right we are going to lose in November and and anybody who says no 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 don't don't talk don't talk about it well I'm sorry I'm intending to win I. I have already planned to be there on Inauguration Day uh, next January uh, uh, to help Trump move out. Uh, I, I, I'm going to I'm going to order my own U-Haul. I'm going to park it there in front of the White House, and uh, I'm, I'm going to do the one gracious thing I can do for Trump, which is to get him the fuck out of there uh, next uh, January twentieth. So I'm completely down. That's my mission this year. Um, And to accomplish that mission, we need the people that are running the Democratic Party. And I ran into Tom Perez last night, the chair of the DNC. And I said to him, you and I uh, have to talk. He said, yeah, 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 no, I know. No, I said, no, we have to talk, you and me. And he said, yes, we will. I'm going to come see you in D.C., so I'll let you know how that goes, uh, because uh, we need the Democratic Party uh, at the top of their game. And we're talking about a party that has twice won the White House in the last 20 years, and the winner never entered the White House. So just starting with that uh, is the fact that I, I learned later, I did not know this when we were in Iowa, that they have kind of this electoral college uh, stink about their caucus, where they give more delegates to the rural counties than those who live in urban areas or college towns. They get less delegates. It's like, what is this? A democracy, and and for the people in other countries who are listening to this, just, I know you already know this, so just uh, go, you know, warm up your coffee or whatever for the next 30 seconds. I'm just talking to my fellow Americans. A democracy is one person, one vote. And the person who gets the most votes wins the election. That's called a democracy. We do not have that in this country. You can get the most votes. You can get three million more votes and be the loser. So 
the fact that in their caucus they have the same sort of setup where they give more. I'm sorry, look, thank you. If you live in a rural area, you work on a farm, thank you for that. We wouldn't eat without you. You know, to think that also that we would give short shrift to these rural states, those of us who live in the urban areas. Uh, why would we do that? Why would we fuck ourselves by punking on farm states? It would be, it would be crazy. We need you. And I would say to Iowans when I was there last week, by having more power in the Electoral College than you deserve, what's that got you? Look at the state. It's a wreck. It is a wreck from the Mississippi River to the Missouri River. Those are the two borders of that state. And these dying and dead towns that we visited, boy, I just kept saying this is this is a kind of a rural version of Flint here um, that we were witnessing, and the and the stories from people about how they were struggling to get by was very powerful and very moving, and um, so so when we get rid of the electoral college, those of you who live in the in the Iowas and the and the um, Kansas and I don't know who else is afraid Montana, you know, uh, it's one person, one vote. That's a democracy. Sorry, we're gonna have to live with it. Or we're gonna stop calling this a democracy because I'm sick of it. I'm sick of all that effort that, that we went to to struggle to. You know, I don't know if most of the American people even realize that Bernie won the state, that Bernie got the most votes. Uh, right now in the count, the two of them are tied with delegates. I think they're going to each get 13 delegates, uh, Bernie and Pete. Uh, but but when they fix and do the real recount of these um, disputed precincts, Bernie's probably going to end up with an extra delegate. Uh, over over Pete. But to go through all that and this whole rigmarole and the trusting technology, I've said this for years, the Canadian way, I'm sorry once again to cite Canada, but they vote on a piece of paper up there with a number two pencil. And then each of their five parties, when the polls close, they have a party, each party has an observer while they're counting the paper ballots so everybody sees it right there on the table. Oh, did I mention that Canada has five parties? <laughs> yeah, five parties that are in all the debates. They're in all the ballots. Now, why does Canada have five parties? Well, because the Canadians seem to think that 35 million citizens, that's how many they have up there, around 35 million Canadians, two parties, two parties just can't... Uh, cover the broad spectrum of political thought amongst 35 million people. You, you need more. You need more than that. So that's that's how they roll. But we need the we need paper ballots, please. No machines, no computers. This whole thing. We're going to, well, I'll, I'm going to do a podcast one of these days on this, this whole app company and this crazy uh, thing that happened and um but let's please, democracy. Everybody votes. Every vote is counted. Majority wins. It's 
period. But this, this, that was, that was Monday. The week just got worse, uh, going to the, into the Senate trial, uh, and the, the vote as to whether or not to convict Trump on Wednesday. Um, Tuesday night was the state of the union. The bright moment there was watching Nancy Pelosi rip up his speech. You know, I, I, you know, I know her not much, not a little bit, but I tell you, she's not that for her to do that. You know this. You saw her all year saying no impeachment, no impeachment, no impeachment. She doesn't. She does not want. She is not uh, into the drama of this. Uh, she's a quite a, a cautious Democrat, um, and very much a standard bearer for the status quo. For her to rip up that speech like that, I hope that goes down as one of the great American moments. And um, and what she said about the speech afterwards, uh, it, it wasn't the state of the union. It was the state of his mind that we had to listen to. Oh, God. Um, but on Wednesday, they let him go. All the Republicans, with the exception of Mitt Romney, uh, stood behind him. You know... I don't know. Has the Republican Party just dismantled itself by acknowledging that there is no rule of law anymore, that the president of the United States is above the law, and they've given him a free pass to do whatever it is he wants to do? And believe me, he will use that free pass. You and I both know that. Uh, He'll be like a kid in the candy store. Um, it's, It's been declared, as long as we have a majority of Republicans in the Senate, uh, a two-thirds majority, that uh, he will just do whatever he damn well pleases. Because, you know, there's an Article 2. You know the Article 2, right? The Article 2 that says he can do whatever he wants. So that is exactly what he will do. We all know that. And, and I'm sure some of you are thinking, oh, man, he's going to go so hog wild. It's going to be so bad now when he does. Once he does these next series of crimes, that's that'll be the end of him. He'll be impeached again, and this time they'll convict him. No fucking way. Don't think that for a second. These Republican senators have shown their true stripes. They don't give a damn about law, about the Constitution, about you and I. What they care about is the what they see as the ideology of Donald Trump which is to fight and preserve the way America has been for a long time and not allow these women, these people, these immigrants, these refugees, these people of color, all these kids, these young people, do not let them change our country. And they are so committed to that. It really doesn't matter what Trump does. Unless maybe, I don't know, <clears throat> maybe if there was video of him not, not shooting somebody in the middle of Fifth Avenue, because I believe that would be okay, too. Because um, it would be so badass to those 63 million who voted for him. It would be so badass to see their president gun somebody down in the middle of Fifth Avenue. <laughs> in that trench coat of his. So, no, that wouldn't do it. Maybe if there was, what if there was, maybe, I'm trying to think, what crime 
would be a bridge too far for these Republican senators. Um, what if he shot a, a child in the middle of Fifth Avenue? That might do it, maybe. No? No, no, because we don't really care about our kids. Certainly, right? We, I mean, not we, but the other party, the party that votes again, against child health care, votes against the Violence uh, of, Against Women's Act, no, they don't. They don't really care about that. If they cared, we wouldn't have so many millions of children living in poverty. Our schools wouldn't be in the shape that they're in. So no, maybe if he shot a child in the middle of Fifth Avenue, maybe that that probably wouldn't. It wouldn't work. So what would work? What's the crime he'd have to commit that would just where people would just go, whoa, okay, I was for Trump, but now I'm against him. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I, I um I think we're stuck here. I think we're stuck for at least the uh the next ten months. And um we're gonna have to figure out how to survive. Not so much uh the sort of basic criminal acts that he'll commit, but how do we how do we survive um, actions that he may take that put the country in literal danger, in in true jeopardy. What what would that look like? At what point? When the when the, this book that's out right now that uh, uh, talks about how Trump's first meeting with the generals where he called the generals a bunch of uh, babies and losers. And right right when he took office, he, he called them all in and just berated them. They stand right behind him, though. You know, I guess that's what you're trained to do if you're in the military. You obey the commander-in-chief. But you're also taught in the military what the principles that we established at Nuremberg after World War II, that, yes, you have to obey your orders, but if the orders are immoral, if the orders are illegal, if the orders violate the principles of the Geneva Convention, then our military law says you are not to follow those orders. If your captain orders you to line up a bunch of civilians and machine gun them into a ditch, you are required by U.S. law to disobey your captain. So, it, it, so these the, our current military leaders, they know this more than anyone. And I've got to, I've been, I've, I've wanted to believe this for the last three years that there's, there's no way that the generals and the others at the Pentagon would sell us out for this clown, for this person who disrespects them on such a profound level that if it came toe to toe the military are going to stand for the people the military are going to operate within the law and the military are not going to obey his orders that's really our biggest threat isn't it that guy that walks around that soldier that walks around with a briefcase with Trump that's got the nuclear codes that would allow him to launch the nuclear missiles, and they've all been trained at all those launch bases to 
if those codes are put in, they have to follow them. They don't get to decide whether or not Trump's crazy or not. So, so I'm, <laughs> I've been convinced for three years that yes, there's something in that briefcase that they're not the military. There's not the, they're not the launch codes. There's no way the generals have ever wanted to trust this guy with the ability to launch nuclear missiles. There's a piece of paper in there. It's got numbers on it. You know, like it's it, really, it's probably the number for pizza, pizza, or, you know, it's, it's Stormy Daniels phone number or it's something. I don't know what it is, but it, it's not the launch codes. Am I crazy to believe that, that, that there are enough good and decent uh, generals and admirals and where they would get together and say, okay, look, we have to protect the American people. That is our job. And yes, this is a civilian run military. We're not a country where the generals call the shots. They're called by those that we elect to office. How bad could it get? You know, I, I got to tell you, this is how, this is what I'm worried about just with myself that I don't even, I can't figure, I don't know how bad. I can't, the things I imagine never happen and things I can't imagine always happen. Even the smallest things. So we let's let's take the week on into into Thursday where Trump has this weird prayer breakfast speech that is anything about nothing about prayer or religious beliefs or whatever. It's it's a tirade against his enemies and you hear him and he's and it's his morning voice kind of like you know mine has been here on this podcast where it's it's like wow Wow, the hate in him, the bloodlust in his voice. And then later in the day, he had that meeting in the East Room of the White House with all his supporters. And he just went on and on and on and made it very clear that the Democrats are going to have to pay for this. And he doesn't mean at the polls. He means they're gonna, they've already started investigations. By Friday of this week, the Republicans in Congress who had requested demanded that the Treasury Department turn over the financial records of Hunter Biden. They did it. They did it on Friday. Not the actual, you know, his 1040s, his tax returns, but these, the other financial information that they wanted. They're going to get the tax returns, too, even though, you know, they couldn't get them for Trump, but they're going to get them for Hunter Biden. He's not letting this go. They're going to do everything they can to see if they can arrest Hunter Biden and do what and do what is what they the the vengeance in this man is beyond belief. And the week ended with Trump firing Lieutenant Colonel Vinman, as we spoke of earlier. Fired him, um, and his brother, his tw- his twin brother, and Vinman was escorted out of the White House in a very unceremonious fashion and um, and in a humiliating way. This person who uh, whose family came to this country as an immigrant, became citizens, signed up to defend the country, give his life if necessary, is treated this way. I have a lot of respect for anybody. You know, we have a volunteer army. Nobody has to go. Uh, those who sign up to serve do so willingly. Hopefully, I mean, I know a lot of, uh, I know a lot of people personally. I know people from Flint who 
obviously they they go because it's the only job they can get. And so the uh, the economy, especially the economy that affects the that affects the working poor, forces a lot of people into that decision. But I have to say this: I've felt this way for a long time. Anybody that signs up to say I will die if necessary, so that you don't have to, so that you don't have to go volunteer, I'm willing. I'll go. I'll volunteer, and if need be, if the country is attacked, I will give my life so that you can live. I mean, seriously, is there is there is there a greater gift to give to a fellow human being than to say, I'll take the risk of, of dying so that you can live, that, so that you don't have to die? I don't know. I, is there? I don't think so. I think that's probably the ultimate gift. And, and, and so those who are willing to sign up for that, the least that they ask of us, the rest of us who don't have to serve, is that we never send them into harm's way unless it's absolutely necessary, that it absolutely has something to do with the defense of this country. That's not a big ask, is it? Just, you know, just don't have me killed for some other stupid reason that has nothing to do with the defense of this country. And so Lieutenant Colonel Vindman and his brother, immigrants, Jews, sign up, offer to give their lives if necessary, and are treated this way. That's what Trump does on day two of his exoneration and his free pass that he's been given by the U.S. Senate to do whatever the hell it is that he wants to do. What's day three, day four, day five, day 55? What's it going to look like, America? We can do whatever the fuck he wants, and that is exactly how he processes it in his very small but brilliant mind. I can do whatever the fuck I want. God, who would not like to wake up every morning with that thought in their head? I can do whatever the fuck I want. Good morning, America. <laughs> We're in a lot of deep shit, my friends. We're in a lot of trouble. And we don't really have anybody looking out for us. Yes, we will do our job in these next 10 months. Yes, we will remove him um, if we get that far. If he doesn't commit some incredible, idiotic blunder that makes it makes it to the point where we don't even have an election. Hmm. Remember after 9-11? 9-11 happened on Election Day in New York City. And they had to, you know, call off, right, you know, three hours after the polls opened, they had to call off the election. They stopped the election. And Mike Bloomberg was the Republican running that day for mayor. And he agreed with it. He agreed to, to um, stop the election, put it off indefinitely. I mean, is there really any better example of the terrorists winning when they literally could shut down an election day and then nobody has to say when the election will actually be held? We've never had that happen in this country. We've never been, well, in, we've gotten through most of our history where we've never really been attacked other than our in our territories in Hawaii and Pearl Harbor. But generally, um, we haven't had to go through that. But Bloomberg agreed to it. It was a very weird feeling in New York 
after 9-11 on that particular level that they just couldn't say for a little while when we would resume with picking the new mayor. So Trump, do we have an election this November? Will he find a way to postpone it? Will he do something that will require us to have to postpone it because of the chaos and catastrophe he's put us in the middle of? Look, I don't, I'm not, I'm not publishing this podcast, this episode today to have everybody freaking out. It's not going to help us in some ways. We have to really, we have to really, everybody's got to bring their A game right now and everybody's got to have their game face on every day, every day, wherever you are in the smallest village, in whatever neighborhood in the largest city you live in. What am I doing today? What am I doing day today to get rid of Trump? And what am I doing today to save this country and make it a better place? And I know, well, Mike, tell us, what can we do? You know, I, I live in Elba, Michigan. <laughs> well, stay tuned, I guess is what I can say to that, because I am thinking about this a lot. I'm not going to wait till the catastrophe happens. I know now that Trump has been given full power to do whatever it is that he wants to do. And I know, I know the jeopardy that we're in the middle of as a result of that. I'm not saying that to scare people. I'm just saying, I know. I also know there's more of us than there are of them. Yes, none of his base has left him. He's still got those 63 million people, but my friends, there's a, this is a nation of 330 million, 240 million at least are adults. 240 million. So 63 million who voted for Trump. That's another, there's, a, there's another 180 million of us, adults. Come on. Let's work together. Send me your ideas. Post them in, in the review section of, of this podcast platform. Or, or send them to me online on my Facebook or Twitter. <clears throat> um, you know, I read the comments. Uh, I want to I work with you. I want to figure this out. And I want to defeat the bastard. And I need your help doing that. We'll pick this back up this week. I'm in New Hampshire. I'm trying to do my part to elect somebody I think will help end the madness. In the meantime, if you're we're out here working for your candidate, God bless you. Thank you for participating. If you're for Andrew Yang, if you're for Amy Klobuchar, if you're for Elizabeth or Joe Biden... Um, Tom Steyer, wherever you're at, if you're actually doing something, God bless you for doing it. This is not the time to sit on the bench, folks. Pick a candidate, get involved, and commit to Trump removal. This was a bad week. I understand the despair people feel. I see it out here. People come up to me here in New Hampshire. I've only been here, you know, this is two days. The tears, tears, instant tears in their eyes. What are we going to do? Are we okay? So I'm off to the next uh, event here. And um, um, I thank all of you for listening to this episode. Uh, we're a couple days away from the New Hampshire uh, primary. Um, we'll keep our eyes on Donald Trump and we will think about what we're going to do uh, to tie him up 
and stop him from any harm that he, we know, is going to do to this country. Um, and once again, I want to encourage you to, um, we're going to record my first live uh, audience podcast uh, tomorrow, Sunday. Uh, you're probably, if you're listening to this, you're listening to this probably late Saturday night or early Sunday morning, but it's at one o'clock Sunday, February 9th uh, in New Hampshire here, uh, in Manchester, New Hampshire. Uh, I, I have not recorded a podcast in front of other people before, other than the, my guests. So, and I will have guests. I'll have special uh, my special guests at this live uh, podcast tomorrow are the people that do this incredible uh, podcast from Brooklyn called Chapo Trap House. Uh, if, if you are familiar with them, uh, you know them, and if you live anywhere in the Boston area, New Hampshire, New England, come on, come on down to Manchester or up to Manchester. Um, the, the place we're holding this is called the uh, Shaquin Irish Pub and Restaurant. Okay, the Shaquin, uh, and you can, it's, I'll have the information listed here on the, um, <clears throat> on the podcast uh, page. Uh, Shaquin Irish Pub and restaurant and um it's on elm street in um manchester new hampshire just put it on your on your google thing and you can find us it's at one o'clock uh there's lots of uh, seating so uh, please join me and my guest uh chapo trap house i'm looking forward to this so it'll be a whole new experience and you'll be able to say you were the, you were at the very first uh rumble live audience podcast so um, again, uh, please please come uh, tomorrow if you're in the area. Otherwise, uh, um, you'll hear from me soon here on Rumble. Rumble with Michael Moore. Thank you, everyone. We're all in this together. And if we have that.